Listen to an autobiography in five chapters by Portia Nelson. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost, I'm hopeless. It's not my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend not to see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. It isn't my fault and it still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I still fall in. It's a habit. But my eyes are open. I know where I am. I know it's my fault. And I get out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street and there is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down a different street. Maybe you have experienced this story in your own life. I know I have. Maybe you know exactly what that hole is for you your own particular kryptonite. Maybe you know what street not to walk down. As I read the story by Portia Nelson, I think there is one thing missing in her account, and that is the power of community. Loved ones who walked with me when I kept falling in that hole and helped me to go down a different street. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, is trying to help them walk down a different street. And he is helping them see that they need to do it as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we've been hearing a lot about the Corinthian Christians in our Sunday readings because the lectionary is taking us through highlights of their new life in Christ, and they are very messy highlights. As we heard two weeks ago, this community of Christians in Corinth is really young. It's only four years old, uh, not 175 like our own parish community, not like 2,000 years of Christian history since Jesus, only four years old. The year is 54 A.D., Think about it, 54 AD. This is only 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's only about 20 years since Paul had his conversion experience and saw Christ on the road to Damascus. The gospels weren't written down yet. That's not gonna happen for another 20 years. There's only a collection of sayings and stories and oral tradition that's being passed around these new baby churches 
There's no New Testament as we know it. There's no discipleship course. There's just letters by Paul, and he's only written three of them. This is the third. First Corinthians is one of these letters, a response to questions that the Corinthian church were asking and wrestling with. And you can see as we were reading those quotes, those phrases, Paul is actually using their words back to them to answer some of their questions. Now, Paul is concerned about the Corinthian Christians and some of the stories that are coming out of that community. They live in a city of about 100,000 people, and they're surrounded by temples to gods and goddesses like Aphrodite and Demeter and Persephone. Sacrifices to appease these gods are a daily part of their civil life. And prostitution, as we've heard, both religious and economic, entangle the citizens in a system of sexual exploitation. Corinth is considered an anything-goes pleasure capital for sailors, traders, and tourists. And it's also economically prosperous. So everyone living there is entangled in this system. And Paul is trying to help the Corinthian Christians become untangled and find true freedom in Jesus. He is trying to help them walk down a different street, which is difficult when all the streets have really deep holes. It's easier said than done. There are two factions in the community, and I'm going to call them, for sake of ease, the eaters and the abstainers. Some consider that it's okay to eat food that's sacrificed to these old gods, now called idols, and others, the abstainers, are finding that that's damaging to their new faith and freedom in Jesus. The eaters justify their freedom to eat what they want, and they look down on those who don't. As weak. What is this about? If it's causing conflict, why can't the eaters just read the packaging on their food and just choose not to eat it? The challenge is, is the food sacrificed to appease the gods, again, Aphrodite, Demeter, and a whole bunch of Roman deities are everywhere. It's everywhere. First, the temples were not Unlike church halls, they were social places. They had social events that meals were served at. And the first thing that would happen is the food that was offered in these meals was sacrificed to the gods. So it affected everyone's social life. And second, not all the food that was used in the religious rituals or in these events was able to be eaten. So rather than waste it, the temple actually earned money by selling it, having it sold in the marketplace. So imagine you're going to Hy-Vee and you go to the meat section and all of the meat has been sacrificed to the goddess Aphrodite to appease her and is now providing money for the temple. Are you going to put it in your pot roast? The eater faction argues that these deities aren't real. So it's just food, let's eat. And Paul describes them as arrogant in their sense of freedom. It's not really freedom, there's an arrogance to it that he describes as puffed up and imagine a hollow flimsy structure full of hot air. 
And Paul also understands, as you heard in our gospel, the understanding that there are forces of evil that are railed against the believers. So he's trying to balance these two. The abstainers in the community are struggling. They want freedom from the old system of fear and appeasement. They've been raised in the Roman temple practices, and they have strong memories and habits ingrained in them. Seeing Christians eating in the temple events has caused them to stumble in their faith. It is like spiritual kryptonite for them. And rather than encouraging them to walk down a different street, the eaters look down on them and perceived weakness and tell them basically just get over it. Paul coming into this conflict shifts the conversation. He makes a case that it's about loving brother and sister in Christ that is more important than personal freedom to do what you want. The word he uses for family here in our scripture is so tender. It's Adelphus, Adelphus from the womb. And he's not talking about people who are biologically related to each other. He's talking about brothers and sisters, family in Christ. That is the depth of community that Christ has called them to. So Paul makes it very clear. When you sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. And here we hear an echo of Matthew 25's passage, the sheep and the goats, that whatever is done to the least of the brethren is done to Jesus. Loving them is loving Jesus. Wounding them is wounding Jesus. And so Paul encourages Christians to use their freedom in Christ to love each other especially, especially those who are struggling. Now, it may be hard for us to hear Paul even referring to these struggling believers as weak, but we know from throughout Paul's writing his own struggles and how he writes about weakness, and it's not a judgment. It's actually for him a badge of honor because weakness is where Jesus is present and God's strength is found. Let me say that one more time. For Paul, weakness is where Jesus is present and God's strength is found. From the manger birth to death on the cross, Jesus shows us his willingness to join in our weakness. And Paul joins in their weakness too. And he writes, If food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I will not cause one of them to fall. That's a powerful statement. To keep them out of the hole, he's not going to invite them into it. Paul is choosing to love others above his own right to eat whatever he wants. It's not, if it's not eating meat, it helps them if eating meat, um, If not eating meat helps them experience true freedom in Christ, he's willing. But it goes further. Paul says, if food is the cause of their falling, if food is the cause of their falling, and that implies that maybe there might be something else that's causing their falling. 
Maybe that there's other things he might be willing to give up to prevent them from falling. And so here, the whole conversation shifts to a new focus. Paul invites Corinthian Christians to start thinking as a family, not as factions, a community focused on loving each other and loving Jesus to stop dividing themselves in the knowledgeable and the ignorant, the eaters and the abstainers, the strong and the weak, and to start looking out for each other, to start asking, what causes you to stumble? What causes you to doubt your faith? What street shouldn't you be walking down? So how might we read this today? Not the first century, but the 21st century. The Corinthian community lived 2,000 years ago, but the call to look out for each other is still the same. In our congregational rule, we commit to love others and to build spiritual friendships. To do this means getting to know each other, to learn what each other's spiritual kryptonite is, looking out for each other, as we journey this path of discipleship together. So I invite you this week, I invite you to take the step with those closest to you, your nearest neighbors, your Adelphus, your family in Christ, and to ask, what causes you to stumble? And how can I help in prayer and in action? How can I build you up in love? And what street is not good for you to walk down How might I help you walk down a different one? And I invite you to listen deeply to the answers. And maybe the ending of that story I told would have a different different resolution. Chapter four, I walk down the same street and there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it with the help of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter five, we look out for each other and we walk down a different street together. Amen.